0: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the Women's Football digest podcast uh, I'm Jack Lacey Hatton we're down to the bare bones a bit with our team this morning as you can see um, a bit like Arsenal at the back end of last season uh, but we, we, I'm delighted to still be joined by Hannah Pinnock. Um, Hannah how are you obviously back to the WSL last weekend in after the international break how, how have you found things?
1: Yeah I'm good thank you Um excited to be back on
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be good. We've still got, despite there only been two of us, we've still got a lot to get through. Obviously, it's been um, a majorly busy week in the women's game. And where else to start, really, than the big breaking news we got on Saturday, which was that Chelsea confirmed Emma Hayes will leave the club um, at the end of the season. We'll take her up to, to 12 years, her time, at Kings Meadow. Um, Obviously, a shed load of trophies and success during that time. But yeah, a a surprise, I think, in terms of the timing of the news more than anything. So, uh, Hannah, give me your sort of first thoughts and and, and reaction when when you found out that news.
1: Yeah, I mean... Just absolutely shocked. I don't think that's sort of news that anyone expected on Saturday, not least after Chelsea has secured a 6 0 win against Villa. I think it kind of maybe rocked the, the world of women's football, really. It kind of came out of the blue. I think despite all the kind of rumours or mumblings that maybe Emma was sort of. One of the candidates being considered for the US job, you know, weirdly, I don't think anyone really expected it. Obviously, for so long, you just associate Emma Hayes with Chelsea that you almost felt like should be there forever. Um, So, definitely very shocked. Um, Not not news that I think anyone expected at all, and um, a difficult one to digest as well. I think you know it. Uh, maybe we underestimate just how big of a change that'll be for the WSL and, and for the women's game in England. And um yes, it's it's definitely one that I think probably will take a bit of time for for people to really sort of digest and, and understand.
0: Yeah, I, I wondered about that. It's an interesting point because she, I think, obviously she's she's been there since since 2012, which is yeah, that's still a long time. But it almost feels like even longer because I think the women's game has changed so much during that time. It almost feels like sort of I don't know. I, I want to sort of compare with like Alex Ferguson and the men's game at Manchester United sort of era in terms of you, you almost can't really remember the club before they took over just because you know Emma's transformed Chelsea just un- unrecognisably. Really, they are the you know the the powerhouse club in English women's football at the moment and that's primarily down to, to her really um, so yeah I think I think it's sort of it, it feels perhaps even longer than it is and 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 getting over I mean we'll come on to, to who might be in for the job in a second but getting over Emma's departure I think it's going to take some time um, obviously club in the statement said that she's pursuing uh, opportunities outside of the WSL um, so and, and strongly linked of course since as well with the the. US women's national job which I know a lot of people in the women's game still consider to be the, the biggest and best job out there um, it'll be obviously that's that's not been confirmed yet but it looks likely um, Hannah do you sort of see that as a I don't know is it, is it a risk for for, for Emma Hayes to, to, to take that job I mean obviously the u.s flopped by their standards were a flop at the, the Women's World Cup in the summer. So, so how much pressure will she be under if if she indeed makes that move?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. It is a sort of highly pressurized job. Obviously, the US are a team that have been so successful and, and demand success at every opportunity. And anything below that is, you know, isn't is, is good enough, essentially. I think we saw that with, with how quickly got rid of the manager after the recent World Cup. So it's definitely a risk, but you almost think if there's anyone that's sort of like capable of of taking on a task and a job of of that kind of magnitude, it's probably Emma Hayes. You know, there's so few managers out there, at least female managers in in the women's game that that are better than Emma. Um, I I do think she is the best that there is. And obviously if you're the USA, you're going to go for the best that there is. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how she sort of copes with um, sort of the the international side of management. Obviously she's been in club football for so long. She's so used to working with her players sort of like every day. And obviously you don't maybe get that in, in international football. But in general, maybe, you know, given that she has a young family that, that might be better for her in terms of, of the work life balance. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, if that kind of side of things was part of a reason to decide that this was the right time to to maybe take that step.
0: Yeah, I think I, yeah, that's that's something I'd agree with. I think the, the work-life balance w- will be a factor. I can remember at the end of last season, when uh, both in in the FA Cup final and then when Chelsea secured the the league title to to win the double two weeks later, after bo- on both post-match press conferences, I think Emma was was in quite a reflective mood and sort of seemed a little bit jaded and just tired from the from the exhaustive efforts of the season i mean chelsea played pretty much every game they could have possibly played last season bar the the champions league final and they only missed out on that by by a, a really narrow margin i think it was although they've got a, a deep squad and you know she's she's she's, she's prepared to, to manage a season like that, I think it might have taken its toll on on uh, on Emma Hayes and, and obviously she's she's had, you know, sort of other things in her in her personal life as well recently, which which can always impact on you. Yeah, like you say, that that, that work life balance. Maybe that's what she's 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 looking for now. Um, and in terms of the, the the US, I mean, is is that I was wondering is that sort of the only job that she could have left Chelsea for? Because conceivably, obviously, the England job looms as well, perhaps. But but then Serena Vigman's contracted till 2025. The FA want to extend that contract. I, I don't know, Hannah. I was, I was sort of speculating on this. But but yeah, could, do you think there's any other job in world football that she could have left Chelsea for?
1: You're right, um, and that's a very interesting point. There's probably very few. Obviously, I, I do think Chelsea is probably one of the biggest jobs in, in domestic football that you can have, really, and obviously there was probably absolutely no chance she would ever go to another sort of WSL club, maybe a Barcelona or, or something like that, given their success in, in the Champions League and in the league as well, if she if wanted a, a, a bit of a change of scenery. But international-wise, again, unless it was the England job, even then, I, I, you know, I don't know if she'd take the England job, Um, but obviously with Serena being until 2025 and and hopefully longer than that, I don't think any England fan really ever wants to see Serena leave. So um, the England job was probably always going to be a little bit out of touch for her, at least for for the foreseeable future. So I, I do think it, it, in the, in the grand scheme of things, probably at this moment in time was the only job and only opportunity that would have come away that would have persuaded them. Maybe if there was a big opportunity in the men's game, maybe you know a, a Premier League club or, or something like that, then maybe that could have been um, a, a possibility. But um, women's football wise absolutely, it was probably the only opportunity and, and just, I guess, unfortunate for Chelsea that, that it's come at this time.
0: Yeah, and I I completely agree, and I think as well the, the 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 obvious the impact that her previous spells in America, living over there, working there as a coach, it sort of I think there's a quote from a from from a few years ago that said she you know she was born in England, but as as a coach was was made in in America. Um, so hopefully that that yeah that that will suit her going forward. Just just quickly as well, Hannah, and because I know you, you wanted to talk a little bit about this, just how much of a a legacy will will her spell and her her reign at Chelsea leave on the WSL and like like you mentioned earlier it's not just you know it's not just her impacts on uh, impact on the pitch and sort of the trophies she's brought it's the yeah the whole the whole league's going to miss her aren't they
1: yeah absolutely it's it's going to be a huge miss i mean not only is she the best manager in the league i don't think there's any question about that she she is the best um but she's kind of all we've known like we sort of talked about earlier obviously you know I would have been like 11 or 12 when when she took charge of Chelsea and I'm nearly 24 now so you know she she's all I've known you know following women's football over the years and and like you said it's not just the trophies and the sheer number of trophies that she's won it's everything that she's achieved off the pitch I mean she is one of the key reasons why the game has grown as much as it has over the last decade. You know, everything that she's done off the pitch in terms of driving standards and, you know, speaking out and demanding better. And, you know, she, she is a big reason and, and the game is a lot you know, has to thank her a lot for for what she's done. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a huge miss, and but I'm sure there'll be a lot of people watching on and maybe supporting the US a little bit more than than they normally would, just because it's you know, every she's the kind of manager that you just want to see be successful because because she deserves it.
0: Well, that that is it. That is a major call. If if there's people uh, supporting the US over in England, I think we'll know. Yeah, that just perhaps sums up how how popular Emma Hayes has been. No, not in, in, more in than England,
1: history. but no, no. <laughs> in terms of just more than, you know, you'd probably support the US normally <laughs> when they're yeah. not playing England, of course.
0: Perhaps, yeah. But we would have had as many people taking delight in them going out at the round of 16 if uh, of the World Cup for Emma Hayes was in charge. Um, in terms of, obviously now as well, we're in this unusual situation where Chelsea have now got to to go through to the rest of the season. I mean, obviously, I'm, yeah, I'm sure Emma and, and the club have, have worked together to, to announce when this was when this news was going to come out. Even though it was a bit of a surprise for us who, who, who cover the game. Uh, but how, how do you think Chelsea will sort of be able to navigate the rest of the season knowing that, that Emma Hayes is going? Do you think, it, I mean, it might not make any impact on on performance, but yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously as well, they're still chasing that first Champions League title, which I know is a big motivational factor for her.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it'll have too much of an impact this season. I think Nostalgia, just because of who Emma is as a person, she won't let it, she won't let, Outside noise or standards drop because of it. I think if anything, the the impact we'll see on Chelsea will probably come next season and you know sort of in the recent years to follow. I think you mentioned Sir Alex Ferguson earlier and and sort of you know you that's all you remember sort of from Man United growing up and sort of since he's left, they've kind of really struggled to to nail down a a solid manager. They've had quite a few managerial changes since and, and they've never quite been able to. To replicate that, really, so it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea now go about. You know, we'll talk about potential replacements, but how they do go about sort of bringing someone in that can almost create that same kind of of legacy and, and build that kind of success. So. Um, Particularly as well, you know, a lot of players have come in to play for Emma and a lot of players are there for Emma. So over the summer, if there's players out of contract or in terms of transfers, no doubt that will have an impact on that kind of thing. So this season, not so much, because I think so long as Emma is at the helm, they they will be successful. And obviously they'll hope to go out with, with the biggest club trophy they can win in the Champions League. But next season, for sure, it would be interesting to see how this team sort of transitions um, under new management and and maybe for the rest of the league, they're they're potentially sort of rubbing their hands together and looking at the opportunity to to maybe finally knock Chelsea off their perch in, in the years to come.
0: yeah definitely uh, I, I agree it's never going to be easy is it that transition after after a manager has been there so long let alone one as successful as as Emma Hayes a good i think it's good for the us as well that they've kind of they've looked at that world cup campaign and perhaps thought we are a bit too you know they're obviously still one of the biggest women's football nations or soccer nations on the planet but I think there, were. It was very inward. Their their World Cup squad had a, had a. There weren't many players playing outside of the league, which is still obviously one of the best in the world. The their previous coach was, you know, based on his success in that in that league. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's good to see them sort of looking further afield, and and it'd be interesting to see how that works out going forward um, in terms of potential replacements for Emma Hayes. Obviously, a lot of people have immediately been linking Casey Stoney potentially with a return to the WSL. Um, I was interested. I'd be interested to see if if Paul Green's going to remain at the club because I know he's had a big impact working with Emma as as, as the general manager. And obviously, when when uh, Emma Hayes was on the, the a medical break last season for for a few weeks, he took the team. Um, so yeah, it'll be be interesting to see who is uh, announced as that replacement, or whether a USA appointment will be confirmed um, in the next few weeks or so. Let's move on though now from Emma Hayes leaving Chelsea because that news was announced straight after a six-nil thumping at, at Aston Villa, a, a huge, a, a, a brilliant result for Chelsea, but a, a devastating one for Villa, who are still bottom of the WSL, haven't taken a point yet this season. They're now the only team to do that after after Bristol City won at the weekend as well. Hannah, obviously, you, you cover Aston Villa for us. I mean. <sighs> How surprised are you by this by this runner form and and yeah, what what sort of position do you think it's left Carla Warden?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I for one am, am surprised just in the sense of I, I genuinely didn't see it coming. I, I you know I was genuinely convinced that that they'd be just fine that they'll be able to sort of kick on and 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 for me that was largely down to the consistency that they sort of maintained over the summer, both in renewing Carla's contract, keeping a lot of their big players, and sort of only bringing in additions to add quality rather than any kind of squad overhaul. So in that respect, I, I genuinely thought they'd sort of pick up pick up where they left off last season. And, and unfortunately, that's not quite happened. And it is difficult to, you know, we've spoken a little bit about Villa in the last few weeks on this podcast, and it is difficult to pinpoint exactly sort of why or, or how this has happened, whether or not it's just, you know, the the players that they had been missing in, in Kirsty Hansen after a suspension and in Kenza Dali through injury. Obviously Kirsty was back for the game against Chelsea and and they were still by and large very poor. So um, you know, it would be interesting to see just how big of an impact it, it has when Kenza comes back and, and whether or not that sort of fixes the problems. But it is it is very surprising that that they are where they are. And I don't think it's anything that we sort of would have predicted as as Reporters of the game, but also I don't think it's anything, you know, the club themselves and, and the team would have, you know, anticipated it at this stage of the season.
0: Yeah, and I, I think a lot of a lot of us in the in the sort of press circles were, were were suggesting it was more going to be a case of trying to push on from that fifth place finish last season and, and maybe challenge the top four. They certainly looked capable in terms of the one-off games against the the top four last season. Obviously, they they, they played Manchester City. Three times and, and didn't lose a game and won twice. Um, but yeah, this this season played five, lost five, uh, conceded sixteen, only scored four goals. No, no one's conceded more in the league. I mean, it's part of it. Just just bad luck. I wonder, and only only because in the games I've watched, I, I watched them on the, the television against Manchester United on the opening day. They can, you know, they, they lost that one right at the death. Similar story when I when I saw them at the Emirates uh, against Arsenal. I thought they were pretty unlucky to lose that game, really. And they they weren't too bad in that in the defeat at Liverpool. In spells that they, they'd still created chances in the the defeat at Liverpool. So yeah, it's as it's, it's part of this just just bad luck and sort of a, a, a tough fixture run at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, I th- I, th- I think the fixtures have had a huge sort of part to play in terms of their form. Obviously, they've played three of, of the top four in, in their opening five games and, and that's not easy. Um they did look good by and large against United. Obviously like you said there it was sort of two stops no well, two very late goals that that clinched it for for United. And then obviously against Arsenal as well. That was probably just absolutely heartbreaking in terms of leading for as long as they did and, and conceding to pretty much at the absolute death to lose it. And it's it's tough because obviously you know they they took the lead against Tottenham, but they weren't able to see it out. Spurs very quickly got back into the game and and got a foothold on it and were in complete control pretty much for for most of the second half. So I, I, I think that. It, for me, it's probably the performances against Liverpool and Tottenham and Chelsea as well that, that were the most disappointing, I thought, against United. They looked really good. I thought against Arsenal, for the most part, they, they looked really good as well. So uh, I, I do think it is a little bit of um, misfortune, but for me, um, it's the next three games that are absolutely crucial and I think will be the clear indicator as, as to where they actually are because you know, essentially now they've got three games that aren't interrupted by sort of a game against the the top 4 they've got three quite winnable games coming up in sort of Bristol City West Ham and, and Everton teams that are in and around them and um, it's a huge opportunity for them to, to sort of pick up points I think if they can get at least seven points from nine um, in the next three then I think that could be the sort of catalyst that they need to really sort of push on from here on out but obviously if they don't uh, I think the, the reality at that point kind of hits that at that point I, I do think they're in a relegation battle um, you know I, I think you can't really get to the end of November with zero points and, and not being a relegation battle. So the next three games, I think, just will be you know about as must win as, as it could possibly get for Villa. And um, you know, we, we, uh, I feel like we've kind of given them a bit of leniency in terms of that tough fixture run that they've had, but now they have three winnable games and they need to go out and get those results now.
0: Yeah, like you say, they are three games that they they would would have been targeting anyway. I suspect, regardless of how many points out on the board at this stage, West Ham and, and and Bristol City. I mean, Bristol City first up this weekend. They're they're both away from home, so so they will be tricky. But I I agree. I, I think if you if you come out of those two games still on on zero points or even a point, it's it's going to be very hard to to avoid a relegation battle. Um, they've also of course got. County Cup in this time as well. They got they got Sheffield United and and then Blackburn in a couple of weeks in the County Cup. Two Championship clubs, so you, you would like to think that that they'll, they'll get some some wins on the board across both competitions. There's a, there's a great opportunity for them to do it. Um, I mean, you, you obviously cover Villa, you know, week in week out, Hannah, and, and you're sort of at the at the, at the press conferences. How, how do you sort of see? Carla Ward's position in terms of perhaps you know I don't, I don't think there's a there's a array of people sort of calling for a head already and and Emma Hayes was asked about um, Carla Ward's position in, in her pre-match press conference and was like said it's just you know it's it's totally ridiculous to even be talking about a manager's position at this stage of the season um, but but yeah it's sort of with as, as someone who covers the club how do, how do you sort of get a, get a feel for things at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a tough one and. To be honest, Stephen, I'm in in two minds about it, really, at the moment. I think for a long time I felt any talk about it, like you said, is, is completely premature. I think if any manager has done enough to warrant time, <laughs> it's Carla Ward. Obviously, what Billa achieved last season in terms of their league finish, obviously reaching the FA Cup semi-final and, and pushing Chelsea sort of all the way in that as well. Um, it, it was an outstanding season and, and that was sort of led by obviously not just Carla, the players on the pitch as well, but but she was in charge of that and I think the club recognised that by, by sort of offering her that new contract at the end of the season. So <clears throat> Uh, she does deserve time to sort of put it right but I think the difficult thing with the WSL um, I mean I know Emma says it's a little bit too early to be talking about that but we have seen managers sacked at, at this point of the season in in years gone by so it does happen um, and I think that's largely because of, of kind of just how short the season is and in, in terms of like the number of games there's only 12 teams in the league 24 games sort of if you don't well, if you go on such a bad run, you you know you're kind of in fight or flight mode quite early on, and <clears throat> I think back to Leicester um, last season. Obviously, I at the time thought them sacking Lydia was too soon, um, and I kind of felt that as well. When obviously the first results under Willie Kirk didn't quite go as planned, but. You sort of look back on it in hindsight and it was probably a bit of of a masterstroke from the club really in in terms of the timing of it, because it took Willie Kirk those first sort of few months to really implement his plan, his strategy and and the way that he wanted to play. He said already that, you know, he said before that sometimes when he was sort of trying to explain what he wanted them to do, the players looked at him as if he had absolutely sort of lost his mind. So. In terms of implementing that, it took a few months and we didn't really see the best of a of, of until January. So it's one of those things where the longer you leave it, sort of the less almost chance you give yourself to sort of bringing a manager that can actually really turn things around. So it, it's probably a bit of a headache for, for the club at the moment in terms of weighing up, giving her the time that she deserves, but also having to think about the club's position and, and a potential relegation battle. Um, if things don't pick up so personally I'm, I'm confident that these next three games should should go Villa's way in, in, in terms of results because I do still think with the players that they've got and, and I do still think Carla's the right person for the job largely as well because I, I don't think there's any managers really out there at the moment that I think could come in and, and do as good of a job as she has um so it, it, it's definitely an interesting one. I, I think, it, you know, the very least, these next three games will, will probably decide. it. I think if they come out of that Everton game at the end of the month still with zero points, I, I do think at that point the club probably will feel like they have to take some kind of action. Um, just because as well, you know, you, you, at that point you're almost halfway through the season. So um but again, if, if, if they can get some results on the board in the next few weeks, then I think it, it kind of she should be safe. And and I'd like that to be the case because like I said, she she deserves the time and then you never want to see a manager that's been so successful with the team sort of lose their job at any point let alone sort of, you know, quite early on in the season. So
0: yeah, and I, I think as well as long as she's got the support of sort of those, cause it's a very senior dressing room at Aston Villa, isn't it? Something we've we've picked on before. You know, they've got real experience there: Rachel Daly, Lucy Staniforth, Jordan Nobbs. These are these are real like senior experienced pros who have who've been around the game a long time so I think as long as she's got their support then I'd, I'd, I'd definitely back Villa to be able to turn this around I did suggest a few weeks ago on this on this podcast that potentially I wondered whether Rachel Daly's season last season was was perhaps a little bit of a, a freak season and whether it's something she could replicate and I, I hope she sort of proves me wrong in that sense and, and she gets back sort of to, to those levels of goal scoring she showed last season obviously to be fair the, the problems are, are deeper than just in attack you know you conceding six goals to anyone yes Chelsea are very strong but conceding six goals at home is is a worrying sign so yeah hopefully Villa um, can make the most of that opportunity to turn things around over the next few games um, we should also mention uh, the game I was at on, on on Sunday perhaps the the other big game of the previous weekend of WSL action Arsenal getting a, a late late win over Manchester City um, but obviously the 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 well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's the only story that's come out of the game, but but one of the sort of side stories that's come out of the game is the Gareth Taylor's comments in his post-match broadcast interview, criticising the behaviour of Jonas Idevel, um, and sort of his his perceived sort of constantly berating the the fourth official and the officials asking for decisions. Obviously, at the start of the season, the uh, the PGMOL said they were going to. Clamp down on this sort of behaviour from 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 managers across the game, and and sort of try and yeah just eradicate the number of touchline incidents we get. And Gareth Taylor, I think, said said that Jonas you know, this is it's every game with him, sort of saying that it's a, a pattern of behaviour, um, which I think sort of surprised a few of us. To be to be fair, the press box at Meadow Park is completely the opposite side to the the, the dugouts where the, where the managers are, so I didn't get a great view during the game of of any back and forth. It felt like a sort of quite a feisty. Competitive game as that they always seem to be between Arsenal and Manchester City, um, but yeah, not. It was sort of a, a bit of a surprise for us. I think leaving the stadium, seeing that that, that Gareth had, had said that, but obviously, it, you know, we we often, as as you know as well, Hanno, in this game, we want managers to be to be honest and and be authentic in their in their post match reactions. Often they're not, and, uh, and Gareth certainly was on Sunday. That's what he felt at the time, and he's he's you know he's explained his his comments since. But but yeah, what what did you sort of make of that and sort of. I don't know, was it was he right to criticize the behavior? Is it something we should be worried about in the in the women's game, touchline behavior of, of managers?
1: Yeah, I I I think in general, you know, you think about the Premier League with some of the touchline behavior of certain managers, some just, you know, are constantly in the fourth officials' ear, but I <laughs> I'm kind of in two minds, but I found it a little bit strange, more so because I don't think there was any sort of, clearly Gareth has seen or heard something that he's he's not happy with. I I don't think he would have sort of made those kind of comments as sternly as he had without seeing something that he doesn't like. But at the same time, um, he's not the one that needs to decide whether or not. Jonas is essentially bullying the, the officials because ultimately, if you know, and, and it's sort of come out since that the officials haven't reported anything or in any sort of their post match debriefs, they've not sort of flagged anything that, that, you know, Jonas stepped out of line. So it, it, it's weird in a way because you're, you're struggling to pinpoint exactly, you know, what, what Jonas did wrong. And if, if the officials haven't sort of taken any problem with it, then, then sort of why is Gareth? Um, So in that respect, I I think it probably would have just been better for him to just sort of like, unless there was actually a major incident that that would have sort of come to light afterwards, then, then maybe speak out. But the fact that there hasn't been, it... I, th- I think for a lot of fans, it just comes across as a little bit bitter that they they didn't get the result ultimately, and and that's kind of the viewpoint that a lot of fans have, have taken and, and sort of criticised him with. So, but in in terms of obviously manager touchline behaviour, you know, you do need to be. Do you want to see them be respectful? I think largely in the women's game, they are. Um, you know, it's, it's quite rare that you sort of see a manager sort of bearing down on a fourth official like we've seen with Jürgen Klopp in the past and things like that. You tend not to get that in the women's game at least. So um, it is important that we keep it that way. And it is important that, you know, when issues like that do arise, that that it is brought to the attention, it is sort of called out as poor behaviour. But obviously I feel like that's more for the officials to to sort of report it and, and Sort of go to the FA with that kind of thing rather than opposition managers, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's understandable. I think definitely, and it, it like I say, it didn't feel like an over the top. You know, it didn't feel like anyone was crossing the line during the game. There were there were a number of yellow cards for for both teams, but Jonas yeah, Edevel wasn't booked. Um, obviously, neither was Gareth Taylor. So so yeah, it was uh, also a. a more importantly, perhaps a, a crucial win for Arsenal, because after their fourth start, they, they really need to not let the gap get any bigger, I think, to, to City and Chelsea. Um, obviously, the, the, the goal came from just, the winner came from a, a, a goalkeeping blunder from Kiara Keating, who had sort of a, a, a mixed day at the office. Um, but yeah, just just how, how, how important do you think that, that win was for, for Arsenal, Hannah?
1: Absolutely massive, especially given the sort of hit and miss sort of start to the season that they've had in, in terms of not picking up results. So, for them, I, I think to to get such an important win against one of their sort of closest challenges is is absolutely massive and sort of maybe the the catalyst that they need to sort of hopefully kickstart their season from from here on out.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Huge win for them. And uh, yeah, it leaves Manchester City now on 10 points alongside Arsenal, both chasing Chelsea. Um, That's it for today. Uh, We're out of time. But Hannah, thank you so much for joining me on the Women's Football Digest. And we'll be back next week. Thank you.